Matthew chapter 21 starts. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed, that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indigent. indigent. I was, I was practicing that. Indignant. Indignant. There we go. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven... He will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say for man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went into the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And when he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did, did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. 
For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planned a vineyard, planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they, received, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Thank you. Justin was right. That was pretty long. Thank you, Mike. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24. Continuing in the book of Proverbs, we're doing some mini-series within the book of Proverbs, and this is our last week looking at Proverbs and family, and next week we'll begin looking at what Proverbs has to say about our tongue, our words. Um, so I'm very excited about continuing in the book of, in the book of Proverbs and, and shifting gears again to looking at some different areas of application. Let me ask you a very important question, which probably has an obvious answer, I would imagine, especially to those with children still in the home. Do you want to have a happy home? I can imagine that everyone's answer would be the same. Of course you want a happy home, right? Nobody says, you know, I want to have a really unhappy home today. I can't wait to just be miserable. You know, everybody wants to have a happy home. However, we're often told that there's no such thing as a perfect family and then are satisfied with less than happy homes, home lives. While this is certainly true that no family is perfect because none of us are perfect, a happy home is certainly possible. Many people have different ideas of what a happy home looks like. But first, let's think for a second about the state of our homes in our nation. Many homes are being destroyed by fatherlessness, parents who are workaholics, divorce, one spouse constantly nagging the other, husbands and wives constantly bickering in front of their children, or one spouse who too easily loses their temper. 
Do these sound like happy homes? With so many broken and unhappy homes across our nation and across our world, we must ask the question, especially in the U.S., if the American dream does not produce a happy home, how are we to get a happy home? Where are we going to find it? Are we going to find it in the world? Are we going to look to the world to know how to have a happy home? The world says that we should let children basically raise themselves. Give them what they want. Be their buddy. Forgo rules. Let them make their own choices. Avoid spanking them and leave their raising to daycares and schools. How has that worked out so far? One Bible scholar argues that the key to building a happy home is the importance of priorities. He highlights six priorities. You may want to write these down if you're interested. The first priority he says here is persons before things. Secondly, home before occupation. Third priority, partner before children. Number four, children before friends. Number five, partner before self. And number six, spiritual before material. He concludes in his, in his, uh, in his article, priorities are indeed peculiar, but they are essential. And they'll go a long way toward becoming a strong, biblical, and happy home. As we see all around us, unfortunately, these priorities are absent in many homes. If we want to know how to have a happy home, we must look to the Bible. Uh, Charity, my wife, was watching a video the other day where the, a very modern mother made the claim that the Bible is irrelevant to parenting today. However, as Charity, and we'll see in the book of Proverbs, points out, such a conclusion is total foolishness. Scripture, especially Proverbs, teaches that wisdom is the path to a happy home. Um, Proverbs repeatedly states that God actively blesses wise families with happiness. Proverbs says this in chapter 10 and verse 1, chapter 17 and verse 21, chapter 23, verses 15, 16, and 24, chapter 28, verse 7, and chapter 29 and verse 3. This happens all over Proverbs. And as Proverbs also shows in these passages, God actively curses the foolish family with sorrow by handing them over to what they want. So let's look to the book of Proverbs and see the path to a happy home. Although all of this morning's message is mostly immediately applicable to parents with children in the home, don't think for a second that if your, uh, if your kids are out of the home or if you have grandchildren, they still, still do not need these same things. Your grown children need to see these same things. Your grandchildren need to see these same things from you. So let's read our passage, uh, Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. It says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to 
Come to the book of Proverbs to see what it means to have a happy home. Lord, I pray that our minds would be transformed. That we would no longer be looking to the world and its so-called wisdom to understand what a happy home is. But Lord, we would glean from your word. We would be wise enough to submit to your word to understanding what it means to have a happy home and what that should look like. Pray you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In your name, amen. Look back to our passage here. It says here that the key to building, establishing, and enriching a household is not money. What does it say? It says, by wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. It is wisdom that is the key to building a happy home. The precious and beautiful treasure that is promised at the end of verse 4 is, is not, according to many scholars, talking about literal money. Rather, most scholars would agree that this is talking about the wealth of a stable family relationship. This is huge because one of a child's major needs is family security. Jonathan Aiken adds to this, both options could be true. Wisdom is the path to a loving family and legitimate wealth. After all, Proverbs gives a balanced view of money. It does not give an unqualified endorsement of money. Rather, it says both, po both positive and negative things about money. Money gained through wisdom is good. And according to Proverbs, it is good to be content, to be generous, to provide for your family, to save and to leave an inheritance. On the other hand, money can become an idol that costs you your family. Money is only good in the proper context of contentedly enjoying it in a, in a happy family. Proverbs says that if the choice you have is between a happy home and a wealthy home, choose a happy home every day of the week. A happy, loving home rooted in biblical wisdom is much better than a wealthy home with tension. Let's see what some other Proverbs have to say about this idea of, 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 a, of a happy home, about giving children yourself more than your money, about giving children yourself more than your money, which is our first point this morning. Proverbs chapter 15, if you want to turn there, you can. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 16 and 17 says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. And then Proverbs 17 and verse 1 says, better is a dry morsel and quiet than a house filled full of feasting with strife. What Solomon says here is interesting and it kind of goes against what we usually think is good. He essentially tells us that green vegetables and crusty bread with no olive oil is better than filet mignon in a home with tension where you walk on eggshells. Right, exactly. Thank you, Bree. I'm getting there. Hold on. Hold on. I'm about to use this as an illustration, okay? I really hate vegetables. 
This is what Brie is getting at. I really hate vegetables. And I really love filet mignon. In fact, filet mignon is actually my favorite cut of meat. And filet mignon is even better as a beef wellington. How in the world can veggies be better than the best steak in the world? Proverbs says that it is better if you eat them in a happy home. Is my beef wellington really worth it if my children don't spend quality time with their father? Is it worth it if my wife is lonely or feels unloved? Proverbs tells us that money can be a good thing, but not at any price. The fear of the Lord is better than money, and so is a harmonious home. The application is clear. We must spend more energy loving our children and spending time with them them, than making money for them. When I started my PhD, for those of you who know a little bit about academics, a PhD takes a lot of time. It's a lot of time and energy. When I started my PhD, the dean of the PhD department made a profound statement. He said, children spell the word love, T-I-M-E. In other words, you should never give up time with your children for anything, not even a degree. Your wife may understand for a little while, but your children will not. Husbands, you are called to provide for your family, yes, but not at the expense of the parenting task. Your children need you. They need two parents. I was so fortunate in my life to have two parents in my home growing up. Things were not always perfect, but ultimately they were secure and still are to this day. I had friends who grew up in broken homes and hated it. My wife still struggles because of divorce in her home. No kid ever grows up and says, my parents spent way too much time with me and now I'm miserable. But there are many children who grow up miserable because parents well, because a parent was missing from their lives. So make quality time for your children. Go to their games and recitals. Help bathe them. Read the Bible and say prayers before bed. Bring them to church with you. Talk with them through the day. Be an active part of their lives. A pastor friend told me once that he angered his deacons because he missed a deacon meeting to go to his son's final baseball game of the season. The deacons were very unhappy with him, but according to Proverbs, he was wise in making that decision. Are you building a happy home by prioritizing time with your family? Rather than pursuing money, are you pursuing a godly life that fears the Lord and builds a happy home? If your so-called spirituality has not affected your daily life in your home, it is fake spirituality. If you are more interested in the advice of the world than by allowing your Christianity, that is God's word, to shape the way you parent your children and order your home, it is not real Christianity. That leads to the next wisdom principle for a happy home. How do you wisely build a happy home? Secondly today, 
You must give your children parents who are following Jesus. You must give your children parents who are following Jesus. If we look back at Proverbs 24 and verse 3, we see that the means to building and establishing a happy home is wisdom. By wisdom, a house is built. And that makes perfect sense in the light of the entire book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 8, we saw that God created and ordered the world by wisdom. But Proverbs has also taught us that wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is a person, the co-creator, Jesus Christ. Since God created the world and it works in a certain divine way, we need to pattern our homes after the order by which God created the world. Going against that grain is foolishness. We must follow the pattern of creation to establish our homes. But remember that the pattern centers on a person, Jesus. Wisdom is a person to know. And once you begin a relationship with wisdom, he makes you wise for daily life. God built the world through wisdom, and we are to build our homes through him as well. We can only have a truly happy home if we have a relationship with Jesus. And therefore, we can only provide a happy home for our children if we are following Christ in our daily lives and allowing our children to see us walk with Christ. God created the world through wisdom, which means order and harmony with God, each other, and the world around us. That's what wisdom looks like, is harmony with God, each other, and the world around us. That harmony was broken through our sin and foolishness. So now there is disharmony. You can look at Genesis 3 and 4 and see the immediate disharmony that the first family felt as a result of sin. Proverbs tells us that wisdom is the path to reestablishing that order and harmony in our lives and our families. Living life the way it was meant to be lived as God intended because the world works in a certain way. Of course, this does not always work out immediately in a fallen world, as we've already seen. But it will work out ultimately. According to Proverbs, this pattern is a person to embrace through the fear of the Lord. Um, through the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8 presents wisdom slash Jesus, wisdom or Jesus, as the mediator that reconciles humankind to God and to each other. So a right relationship with God through Christ will lead to right relationships with others, including your family. If there's a lack of harmony in your home, it's because there's a problem with Jesus in your home. We need to be conformed to the image of Christ, who according to Hebrews 2 brings many sons to glory. Proverbs 19 in verse 3 reveals how foolishness can lead to a parental and marital relationships that are out of whack. Look at Proverbs 19 in verse 13. It says, A foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Foolishness can lead to 
parental or marital relationships that are out of whack. This foolishness exposes the fact that your relationship with Christ is lacking in some way. You can spend three hours in daily prayer. You can go to four Bible studies every week. But if your home is filled with tension, it shows a problem with Jesus. Many seemingly pious people who are involved in church have families that are an absolute wreck. It should not be this way. Rather, repentance, confession, and pursuing Christ are the ways to get back on track. Even confessing to your children that you are a sinner in need of Christ can go a long way. If you want to live, have, a, have harmony in the home, it starts with embracing Jesus. Your children need parents who have vibrant relationships with Jesus and his body, the church. They need to see that this relationship is authentic by the way it changes your life and your parenting. If you are in harmony with Jesus, he will lead you to harmony in your relationships with your family. Number three this morning. We must give our children training in wisdom. You must give your children training in wisdom. So how do we build a happy home? Right? We've seen that the foundation of a happy home is Jesus. And one of the ways to have a happy home is by prioritizing time with your family over time making money. How do we build a happy home? How do we train our children in wisdom? The book of Proverbs gives us three ways we train our children by our example, by instruction, and by correction. First of all, we, first off, we train our children by our example. In chapter 14, verse 26, we read, the fear of the Lord, uh, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. It starts with your example. Your children need to see a saved parent who walks in wisdom. Your children need to see you pray, read scripture, attend church, sing the songs with a good attitude, as Wayne already mentioned. Listen to the sermons and serve in the church. In the home, they need to see that you have a hard work ethic, but they also need to see you prioritize them and your spouse. They need to see you love your spouse well. Again, Proverbs 14, 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children have a refuge. Those who trust the Lord live securely because they are under God's protection from the storms of life. The same is true for your children. Your wisdom, parents, will shield your children because they get to experience the benefits and blessings of it. Their lives are affected by your actions. But also the wise parent, by virtue of their example and their teaching, pass wisdom on to their children. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 teaches something very similar. It says, a righteous person acts with integrity. His children who come after him will be happy. Therefore, the ones who model wisdom will pass it on and its benefits onto their children. Why is this so? 
Why is this so? Why will your example, if you are li- living your life wisely, why will that automatically, why will that guarantee that it, or mostly guarantee that it will pass on to your children? This is true because children usually turn out like their parents. This is both a challenging and a frightening reality. <laughs> and children are excellent hypocrisy direct detectives, detectors. If you have a rule in your home that saying the word stupid is the equivalent of a naughty word, rest assured that your children will call you out every time you say the word stupid. They will. Children watch you closely, and you have tremendous influence on their lives. When Charity and I get frustrated, we'll often let off the noise, we'll go, or, right? Right? Curtis has already caught on to that. <laughs> and after we make that noise, he will walk around the house going, <laughs> <laughs> he already knows, he already sees it, and he already copies us. Now, while it is true that parents have an immense impact on our children's lives, you cannot conclude that every foolish child is unwise because his or her parents mess up. But generally, that's the way it works. So what example are you setting for your children? If they turn out like you, would that be a good thing? Chances are that they will turn out like you. Amber's looking back at her dad. (laughs) Second way we're supposed to pass wisdom on to our children is not just by our example, but also through instruction. Look back at our passage this morning in Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. The second way to teach your children in wisdom is to instruct them. You must use your words to teach your children. The the first says, By wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. There should be none of this. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. No. Your wise example must also include words of instruction. The truth, this truth is one of the major concerns of Proverbs. It's all over the book. It is the book of Proverbs is a dad following the command of Deuteronomy chapter 6 to teach his son and is pleading with him, listen to me. We must teach our children the wisdom of Proverbs. That means teaching them right for wrong, from wrong. That means teaching them spiritual realities as well as practical realities like a work ethic, saving money, controlling their tongues, because there is no sacred and secular divide in the book of Proverbs. God is concerned with every detail of your life. Teach your children the way that life works best. Do not just teach your children what to do. Teach them why they must do it. The why is the motivation for the behavior. Solomon constantly tells his son the consequences or benefits of walking in wisdom or walking in folly. He says, you do not do this to, um, or, uh, excuse me, you do not do this or you do not listen. um, Then there are disastrous results. This is what he keeps telling his son, that there will be disastrous results if you don't do these things or you don't listen. Teach your children why they should do their chores, why they should handle money correctly, why they should control their tongues, and develop conflict resolution and wise planning skills. 
lay out both the benefits and the consequences. Teach them why it is a bad idea to buck authority, to be too lazy to do their homework, why it's a bad idea to be cocky or to gossip or to have sex before marriage. You must be the teacher and authority on these matters. You must not just have the talk, but ongoing talks about dating, romance, and sexuality. If you are not the authority, their peers or the television will be. And that's a bad idea. Parents, this is your role in your children's lives. You can't farm it out to daycares, schools, or youth pastors. You are responsible to get them on the right path because they cannot choose it by themselves. This also includes teaching them the Bible. Don't hide behind excuses like, that's just not my thing. Make it your thing. Read the Bible to them. Share your testimony. Share with your kids how you became a Christian. Talk to them in the car on the way home from church about the sermon. Or next week you can talk on the way home from, from church with your kids about what the Lord's Supper is and what all that is, what's going on there. And help them memorize scripture. You can do it. You memorize meaningless sports facts and movie quotes. I know a couple families here in this church that I could quote a line from the office and they would know exactly what I was talking about. Why can we memorize the office and not scripture? The reason is time and priorities. So, determine to memorize God's word and then lead your children to do the same. Make it a priority. Make time for it. I use a free audio Bible app that's allowed me to listen to the entire Bible nearly three times since October. Just while cleaning at the school. Take advantage of the resources available. For scripture memorization, you can find the same things. Listen to it over and over and over again. Why do you have lines from the office memorized? Because you've watched it more than once. You can't understand scripture or memorize scripture if you only read it once, if at all. How can you? Finally, this also means being alert for conversations when it comes to instruction. When your children ask questions, even questions that might make you uncomfortable, like, how can I get to heaven? Is it wrong to be gay? Or what is sex? Don't shut them down or put them off. That will teach them not to come to you with things that concern or interest them. Answer their questions kindly and directly in age-appropriate ways. If you're not sure how to do that, just say, that's a great question. Can I have some time to think about it and talk, about, talk to you about it soon? Don't be afraid to seek counsel from other old, older godly parents. But when your children want to talk, make every effort to make the most of that opportunity. And the third way that we teach our children wisdom is by correction. So by our example, by our instruction, and by correction. The third way to tra train your children in wisdom is to correct them. 
You do not punish your children simply for the sake of punishing them. Discipline is about correction, putting them on the right path. That means instruction must accompany discipline. Some people falsely think, I just love my children too much to discipline them. However, according to Proverbs, if you do not discipline your children, it is because you do not really love them. In fact, Proverbs says that you hate them. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. Proverbs 13 verse 24. says, but whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I remember in high school having talks with my friends about curfew. When a friend said they didn't have curfew, we all envied him. But the reality is that not setting a curfew may be sending the message to your children that you do not care if they ever come home. A lack of boundaries may not show love like you think it does, but it may sadly show indifference to them. We must correct our kids because discipline is an evangelism mission to rescue our kids from hell. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 and 14 says, If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Excuse me, verse 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. And then verse 14, if you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Kids are sinful at heart, and left to themselves, they will walk to destruction. It is not loving to be their buddy and to let them make their own choices as they march off toward hell. You must start young with discipline. There's a temptation to give in during the early years, especially because they're so darn cute. But you must fight that temptation. Correction is a gospel issue. You teach them what is sin, what sin is, that it has consequences, that they will be held accountable, and that it needs to be repented of. If you do not correct them, they will start to think that evil is actually good. How do you correct them? Well, Proverbs calls for spanking. He uses the term the rod to refer to that. And if that upsets you, complain to Solomon, not to me. Because it's all over Proverbs. No matter how out of step with the culture you think that that might seem, We all understand this principle when it comes to working out, right? You discipline your body, introducing a little pain in order to make your body healthier. The same is true with spanking. It's not detrimental if it's done properly. In fact, there are studies that show that adults who are spanked as children have a sunnier outlook on life and are more successful. Now, you should never spank out of anger or because your child is simply not doing what you want them to do. That's called abuse. You should not spank, your chi- your, you should not spank for childish accidents like spilling milk. You should, but you should spank for outright defiance, dishonesty, or rebellion. 
And you should do it in private so as not to embarrass your child and so that you can talk with them. Have a teachable moment when you, when you introduce spanking. This is an important moment for a gospel conversation. Tell them what they did or did not do. Secure an acknowledgement that they know why they are getting a spanking. That can teach them about confession. Tell them you love them no matter what. And that, for, and that your love for them is not determined by their behavior. And then hug them afterwards. And tell them that you are a sinner who understands the need for forgiveness too. And then tell them that is why you are so thankful for Jesus. Because you have done similar things to what they just did. And you are glad that Jesus has forgiven you. And he can forgive them. Spanking should also wait till the child is old enough to understand expectations and can start responding to directions. You don't want to spank a two-month-old. Right? They don't know any different. They don't know what they're doing. Stop crying! Right? That would be ridiculous. So don't... Make sure they're their age is appropriate enough where they, you can tell that they understand that they have expectations and they are able to respond to directions and when they are directly disobedient. When my son stares at me with a bowl of cereal, stares at me directly in the eye and goes like this. <laughs> that he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's doing wrong. But see, Proverbs also calls for an adjustment to correction as the child gets older. Proverbs understands that spanking will not always do the trick. It will not always take care of things. In Proverbs 29, verse 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. As the child gets older, a rebuke or maybe a restriction should be enough to correct the behavior. I remember the day when spanking was not enough for me anymore. My mom went to spank me and I laughed. You can see how well that went, right? It was probably time to move on from spanking, and it was. And it moved to restrictions, grounding, those kind of things took place. Words, however, as we see, are always part of the correction process. Words should always be part of the correction process. Finally, here's some practical advice. Make sure that you and your spouse are on the same page when it comes to correction so that your child cannot play one against the other. You must parent as a team and be consistent with your discipline. Your children will recognize inconsistency and they will play it to their full advantage. So in conclusion, the big key to having a happy home is to introduce your children to a parent whose love is truly unconditional and unchanging, God the Father. That's who we ultimately need to be directing our, our children to, is to the, the ultimate parent, God the Father. As you need his unconditional love as well, you will also need his unconditional love because you will fail as a parent. You will not do everything perfectly. But you serve a God who can make all things new. It is never too late. Start building a happy home today through the wisdom of God. As we move into our time of invitation, maybe there's an area of your life where there's 
an aspect of, of your parenting or your marriage relationship that needs Jesus. Pray that you would surrender that to him. Use this invitation as an opportunity to surrender that to him. Maybe in your seat or if you need to come uh, in a more public way, come before this altar. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I'm not wise because I don't have a relationship with wisdom to start with. Pray that you would not leave here without knowing for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus so that you can be wise. Maybe you're looking to join a church. You've been coming here and you want to be a part of this congregation and commit to this place. And we would love to have you here. If you can, this, during this time of invitation, if you want to come and talk to me about and find out how you can be a member of our church, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we move into our invitation. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about what it means to have a happy home. Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark. Lord, your scriptures are profitable for everything in our lives. That, Lord, even parenting, we can learn how to do that from your word. Lord, you are so concerned about every aspect of our life because you love us deeply. Not because you're mean or malicious, but, Lord, it's because you love us and you want the best for us. I pray, Lord, that we would surrender to your word who would surrender to your will. Pray, Lord, as we move into this time of invitation that people would respond to your Holy Spirit as you have called them to. In your name, amen.